I'm your host, Lee W. Johnson, and welcome to my podcast, where I talk about all things related to magic, witchcraft, demonolatry, and a whole load of other related things. If you would like to find out more about me, get in touch with me, or hire me for a service, please go to my website, leewjohnson.com, or check out my link tree in the description of this podcast. So for this month, uh, the book that I want to review is Mastering Witchcraft by Paul Hewson. Um, now this kind of is one of the cornerstone books to modern witchcraft. Uh, this was actually written in 1970, um, so very early days, um, you know, before the satanic panic and all such nasty and naughty things. Um, but still a very early uh, inclusion to modern witchcraft. I mean, this obviously came after um, Gardner and Robert Cochran and um, Dorian Valiente and such people. But, um, you know, this was a very early influence for a lot of people. And, you know, a lot of covens actually um, based their whole premise, their whole structure on very much on this book actually. Um, so Paul Hewson was born in England, uh, I believe he now lives in uh, Los Angeles, uh, could be mistaken there, so might need to check on that. Um, but he did study with um, the Society of the Inner Light, which was the Unfortunes uh, Order, and also the Order of the Stella Matutina, which is connected with the Golden Dawn, and he, he studied under, as far as I, I know, um, di under direct teaching of um, Israel Regadi. So very much a ceremonial magical influence um, and Western uh, mystery tradi tradition. However, there is, I mean, he's obviously studied the history of witchcraft, um, the spells in here are very much based on old folklore. So uh, it's, it's an incredibly interesting read. Um, so let's just have a look through at the contents. All right. Um, so we've got first steps, preliminary preparations, divination, spells for lovers, counter magic and protection, vengeance and attack, and the coven and how to form one. So this here is very much your your beginner type of stuff, where to start, um, you know, the tools that you'll need and things like that. I'll go through a bit more just now. Divination is, um, is actually goes into, very briefly though, um, goes into geomancy. Um, and you're, anybody who is uh, a practitioner of demonolatry may be interested in this section also. Um, he has a working with Vasago from the Goetia. Um, there's and then the spells for lovers that goes into um, love spells and sex and sex magic. In reference to sex magic here, it's actually about 
um, doing spell work in order to get sex, to have sex, not to, um, you know, it's got nothing to do with sacred sexuality or tantra uh, or anything like that. Um, and then the love spells themselves, the love magic, is similar, just based on the aspect of romance, love, uh, bringing a lover into your life and things like that. Um, counter magic and protection and vengeance and attack there's a, actually make up a, a large portion of this book um, and it does go into cursing um, it goes into counter magic how to, how to protect yourself against an attack uh, from a different witch um, and such things and then the coven and how to form one you know it's a good instruction on how to actually form a coven and it, it kind of covers um what we may consider to be more of an initiatory gardenarian approach um being a sky clad and i mean the way he actually presents this is that if a coven is working robed then they are actually working more with the um knowledge aspect uh, whereas if they are working skyclad, they are working more with the fertility aspect of the craft. Um, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that myself, but um, you know the way it's presented does kind of make sense. Um, let's have a look through anyway. Okay, so introduction. Oops. All right, so first steps. He um, goes into the power, the attainment of uh, power, the witch power, he calls it, and he goes into um, uh, unbaptismal rites. Uh, this covers, you know, saying the Lord's Prayer back backwards, and he's he's got it written out for you to actually say phonetically. Um, goes into the witch's pyramid, which is uh, to know, to will, to dare, to keep silent. He does have different terminology here, but it is the same thing. And he goes extensively into discussing the witch's pyramid and the four, the four pillars or the four corners of the witch's pyramid. Um, casting your spells, uh, magic, magical times and seasons. So he goes into the seasonal aspects uh, and also the lunar aspects. Pray to the moon when she is round. Luck with you shall then abound. What you seek for shall be found in sea or sky or solid ground um, and then goes into preliminary preparations now the attainment of your witch name it's this was a very prominent thing going right through um, until the the 90s um, early 2000s you know to find your witch name to get your witch name was a quite a, a, a important part of what a witch or who a witch was um, but it goes into all different methods that you can actually look into and actually to actually get your witch name. Has a look briefly at the he calls them the witch runes. It's the seven seven oh sorry seven script, um, which is quite a powerful magical alphabet. Um, let's see which witch jewels, uh, the necklace, the bracelet, uh, the ring, the pendant, the girdle, cord, and garter. Um, so these are um, items that you would wear during ritual uh, and such things, uh, manner of dress, you know, robed or skyclad or whatever, and then the actual witch's tools. Um, going into the various ones, this you know we we do find a lot of this is based in uh, Wicca, 
ceremonial magic, as I said, he was had a very large influence. Be the the training that he had and the studies that he did into ceremonial magic itself, um, and formulas for exorcism by salt, water, and incense. So you've got your your actual rituals to exercise the tools themselves, um, and then goes into each one individually. Uh, the runes or the the script that should be on he is his preference, I suppose, um, on the actual tools themselves. Uh, goes into the cord, into the workbook, um, and then how to make your magic circle. Um, this is very different to what you may find in Wicca itself, and in very much in, in traditional witchcraft. Um, but it's, a, it's an interesting approach, and it's one to definitely uh, try. Uh, let's see. The initial supplies. The initial supplies, charcoal blocks, uh, supply of plain, undecorated white candles, salt, water. All these little things that, you know, sometimes you get, get into circle to do ritual, and you've kind of forgotten something. And it may be something really small, like matches to light the candles, or whatever it may be, and then you've got to deconstruct the circle, you know, obviously in the manner that it's been created, um, and then go and get that and then start again. And that kind of, you know, just it cancels everything out because then you, you kind of break the mood type of thing. So it's better to make sure you've got everything when you go into ritual. Then into divination, as I said, um, it goes into divination focuses a lot on Mercury, the aspects of Mercury and doing divination on a Wednesday and such things um, because Mercury is the planet of communication and divination is a communication tool of sorts. Um, this is the geomancy I spoke of and you know it goes into it briefly it doesn't uh, there's a lot more to geomancy than what's just in here he does however call it which i found curious um let me just find it here where did he write it he called them runes as far as i remember i'd have to go through the whole thing again Okay, not going to get to uh, casting the runes. Um, you know, this it's definitely different to. They can, I suppose, they could, could be considered runes, um, but definitely not the uh, the futark or futhark. Um, very different to that. In fact, that's not even mentioned in this book. Um, goes into the pendulum, how to use it, the wand of divination, the magical lamps. Um, the showstone, so it goes into scrying, uh, and here's the conjuration of Vasago. So this is a particular method to conjure Vasago um, in order to speak to Vasago in all, for divinational purposes, um, and it's not your um, your typical uh, grimoire type of approach. It's a very respectful approach, and this is. Now this is one of the books I read very early on, and uh, I think this is probably why I got got such a respect for the demonic, for the Goetia and such things. Um, there's a lot of names in here you're not going to recognise, 
you know, I don't recognize them myself by Satandar and Asentasa. Um, he doesn't actually explain where these names come from, but uh, these are, as I said, a lot of the the actual charms in here are from folk magic. Um, dreaming, uh, dreaming, divination, necromancy. He goes into um, actually has a ritual for doing the necromantic uh, divination. Um, each chapter actually, I think it's each chapter, but most of them, well, maybe not all of them, but most of them actually end with herbs and incenses. Um, you know, mixes that you can use, uh, the Vasco Conjuration incense, for instance, um, the Necromancy incense. Um, so he gives these recipes as well. Then, as I said, the Spells for Lovers um, goes into, I'm not going to get into, I'm not going to go through this specifically, but goes into different older coriander spell and periwinkle spell um, for gaining lovers. Um, Willow spell, the apple spell. So, you know, these are quite um, uh, found in, in folklore and such. Goes into the Sator spell, which is focused on um, attaining lovers with the um, Paternoster and then how it's related to the Sator square itself. Um, I think a lot of people relate the Sator Square to just to protection, but you know this was actually used for attaining a lover. Um, and it goes into the numerical uh, equivalent of the Sator Square, so some information in here that you may not have found elsewhere. Okay, let's have a look through, and then as I said, the second half of this chapter is battling to turn the pages is actually for sex magic so that's this part here the art of fascination um, which is you know that can be used not just for getting having uh, or getting someone to have sex with you um, but for you know, fascination can be used for many things um, there is a large focus on Koninos um, in the sex magic part and also in the cursing aspect um, invocation of the Horned One, see old old charms, uh, Echo Echo Azarak, Echo Echo Zomalak, Echo Echo Kaninos, Echo Echo Arada, um, Bagabi Laka, Baka Bay, etc, etc. So all of the old charms that we used to use back in the day. Uh, goes into puppet magic, um, called the puppet. So also very interesting. Let's have a look. And then here we go again, um, you know, filter herbs, uh, necromancy incense. So we've got all of these um, the various formulas and recipes that we can use um, for the different things, for love spells and sex magic. And then again, counter magic and protection. So it goes into protecting the hearth and home, um, how to do... Um, uh, uh, counter magic on a witch that may be trying to attack you um, goes into Saturn Saturnian aspect here obviously portable amulets the witch is familiar uh, a great chapter or great section on the mandragore and the Alruin, um the Magistellus and creation of the Magistellus itself uh, the actual ritual that you do um, for Creating the Magistellus, uh, which is the witch. It, it, it's a familiar in a sense. 
Um, magical defense. So look, what else do we have in here? Uh, protection magic. So you know, as I said, this this these two chapters make up a large portion of the book. Again, we have uh, recipes for herbs, herbal remedies, and filters, uh, and then goes into vengeance and attack. So it goes into cursing. Uh, I don't want to go through every single page, but I am. Um, square of Mars. Mars obviously being the planet of war. Um, as well as the Black Cross and reverse, reverse pentagram. So, you know, there is a lot in here that can be gleaned and used for your own workings. Um, there is a working for um, with uh, um, Floros or Hores from the Goetia um, for specifically for, um, uh, let's just see. I know. It, I think this was actually in conjunction with Kerninos. Sending of eight. Okay, not quite sure. Can't remember now. Um, but you know, definitely working with with Floros or Hores. Um, so we have this connection with Floros or Hores and Horus, the Egyptian god. Um, you know, we also found this in Fulheim's. Uh, articles um, storm raising okay and then again sachet powders great it, it has a look at graveyard dust and the, the three different um, ways or, or, or types of graveyard dust either purely dust or earth uh, taken from a churchyard two is dry powdered mullen herb and three is bone ash and as asphaltum as known, also known as mummy dust, originally obtained by grinding up Egyptian mummies. This is a great rarity nowadays for obvious reasons. Yes, very obvious reasons. And then the um, you know this you can use this as a basis for forming a coven. As I said, it goes into the aspects of uh, robed and um, uh, skyclad uh, coven workings. Um, the, the, the main aspects were the seven headings, nature of your coven, your coven hierarchy, your initiation ritual, uh, a binding oath of secrecy, taking of a magical coven name, the actual witch insignia, and number seven, a ritual or rituals uh, to be performed on any of the eight Sabbaths you care to celebrate. So it goes into the Sabbaths. But it, as I said, it, it's very, it is kind of brief. It gives you an outline, it gives you a good direction, um, and it gives you a foundation. And I think, you know, anything that we do, especially if we're trying to create a coven, we need a good foundation to build it upon. Um, it goes into the initiation rituals, and it has both of them, the robed initiation and the skyclad initiation. So, you know, you can take these and adapt them. Um, for your own initiations in your coven. Um, goes into the Sabbat rituals, uh, gives you a Sabbat oil recipe. Uh, have a look. Uh, it gives you a variety of them actually. Um, but um, then goes into, where's, 
Most about the witch dances. This is the. Um, it discusses the spiral dance and the chain dance. Um, there are a variety of different dances we can do to actually raise energy. Um, you know, the cone of power and such things. But uh, it explains the those two dances in here, and then goes into music and incense again, incense and different recipes for cakes, for Sabbath wine. And, and then has a look at the planetary hours in the appendix and has a glossary. Okay, and also has a very good bibliography at the back and split into um, different areas, his, historical background, uh, the witch cult, relevant mythology, Kabbalistic um, magical practice modern development obviously you know these books are going to be quite old because this book itself was written in 1970 so um, there won't be any modern references to in the bibliography itself for obvious reasons um, but these books are great for a foundation um, arcane traditions you know it goes into Blavatsky and um, have a look at the book of Enoch in into Kabbalah um, Mathers again Kabbalah so, yeah, excellent book. Um, you know, as I said, this is very much one of the foundational books of a lot of witches that um, were around in 80s, 90s, um, and even early 2000s. And it did go out of print, um, Authors Guild, uh, back in print uh, edition. So, um, this is the, uh, there will be a link um, in the description also at the top. If you look, if you click the i icon, the info icon, you'll find it there, and it's the this copy that you'll be buying. Um, if you want the paperback, uh, the uh, I did have a look, and the hardcover was a hundred dollars, but at least the paperbacks, uh, I think it's eighteen dollars, so it's a bit of a relief, I suppose. Um, but yeah, fantastic book, brilliant, definitely recommend uh, getting your hands on this and adding it to your collection. Um, it's uh, one of those should-have books. All right. Welcome to the Ask Lee segment of my channel. And if you have any questions regarding magic, spirituality, witchcraft, demonolatry, the occult, whatever it may be, then all you have to do is drop it into the comments of any of the Ask Lee videos, and I will add it to queue. And I do these every Wednesday, so just look out for your questions. Right, welcome back. So the first question is from Kathy Pryor, 4281. What kind of beings exist in 1D, 2D, 4D, and 5D, etc.? How many dimensions are there? All right, so this gets quite kind of scientific, actually, um, which is way beyond my comprehension. But um, to kind of talk about it, basically, um, you know, when we talk about beings in the first and second dimension, I don't think we can really say they are beings as we would perceive beings. Um, it's it's mostly used as a, to describe a concept. Um, but if we were to look at that 
um, have to go back to the zero dimension, which would be a point. Um, the first dimension would then be a line, because what we're doing is we've got a point, and then it creates a line, so it has length. Then um, first, so the second dimension would then have uh, width, so then we would have a, a shape, a square, triangle, um, a circle, um, something which has length and width. Okay, so that's two dimensions. Then the third dimension brings in depth or height, so that creates a third dimension. So then we have a point, we have a length, we have a width, and we have a height. Okay. Um, then we would have the fourth dimension, which is then time. So starting there, um, if we have an object, uh, I'm going to have to hold up my vape. Okay, so this is a three-dimensional object. It has length, it has width, and it has height. Okay, but it doesn't move. It can't move by itself. It can't move from this position to this position. We can. Animals can. So, in a in a sense, technically, we are four-dimensional beings because we can move in within time and space. Okay. When we get to the fifth dimension, the fifth dimension is actually um, is a concept that a lot of people are still exploring. Um, but some in some some uh, theories, it's considered to be microscopic. Um, to you know, it, it's often related to quantum physics, quantum mechanics, and sometimes it's called the quantum field or the um, quantum plane, quantum realm, things like that. Um, in older terminology, we may call it the astral plane or the astral realm. Um, so five-dimensional beings can move from point to point without moving through time, uh, as we need to move through time. So to get from point A to point B, we would have to take a period of time to get there. Um, depending on what, what vehicle we, we, we're, we're using, whether it's our feet, whether it's a car, whether it's a plane, you know, that time varies, but still need that time to get from point A to point B. Uh, uh, being in the fifth dimension would can be in two points simultaneously, actually, in multiple points simultaneously. And this is often why we, why we talk of the gods um, and other spirits. Um, you know, the question often comes up of um, how is it that multiple people can be talking to the same spirit at the same time? It's because they exist in all space and time. Um, you know, it, it, space and time doesn't really isn't really a thing. Um, we go through our lives in linear time, but you know, in 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 terms of mysticism. There is no time, there is no dimension, or, or space at least. Um, everything happens in the same moment, which you know I've mentioned in the past. Um, but a first dimensional being would therefore um, be able to be in multiple places simultaneously and um, at different points and in the same time, you know, what we consider to be time. Um, so um, how many dimensions are there? We usually talk about the five dimensions. There are theories of um, ten dimensions, and then it just loops back again. Um, quite an, it's interesting theories, but uh, you know you can go and 
check it out online. Um, I've forgotten the YouTube channel. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put a link, should be up here somewhere, to a video that we did um, on Into the Wildwood uh, live about time and dimensions, uh, which helps to answer some of this as well. And, um, you know, Kai goes quite in depth into this um, and knows quite a lot of the theory behind it. So I'll put that link in the description and up here. It should be in this corner up here. I don't know. Every time I record this, I'm not sure if it's this corner or this corner. It's one of the corners. Okay. All right. Um, so let's go on to the next question. Uh, this one is from Hondaman6918. Been studying witchcraft and the occult for about four years now. Been chasing the dragon, as it were. Uh, started with Wiccan, moved to Golden Dawn, Chaos Magic, and traditional witchcraft, all in hopes of connecting with experiences truly that may uh, cement or reinforce the journey. Uh, been sadly disappointed so far. Any thoughts? Um, lots. I'm just not sure how to voice or, or put them into words, really. Um, you, it's quite possible that you are trying to find a singular truth. Um, and I think this is why a lot of people, I mean, it's why I started going down all these paths, um, was to find the truth of the universe, which is a singular truth. And there is no singular truth. And as you carry on going down the path and going down, taking the journey, you come to realize that, that, you know, there are many, many, many truths. Um, they may be subjective truths, they may not be absolute truths, but they are still truths. Um, one person's belief is no less, less valid than another person's belief. And if we had to think of there being a, an absolute singular truth, that would mean that nobody is right. Because even if two people believe the same concepts, they are going to have their own interpretation of those concepts and it might be slow so so slight and slowed so differently you cannot recognize the difference but they are still different so which one of those two is the absolute truth this is why i say there is no absolute truth in in this particular concept is because everybody's concept is different everybody's perspective is different everybody's worldview is different um, and it becomes very personal. So, you know, you may have been trying to find that, that absolute singular truth and there isn't one. Um, so what you need to do is just carry on the journey. Just continue the journey and just gather as much information as you can and create your own worldview and that becomes your truth. And that worldview is going to change. That truth is going to change. So again, it's not an absolute truth. It can't be. Um, we keep changing, we keep developing, we keep growing, we keep um, adding things, take, subtracting things, um, so that we, we continue to build our own path, build our own worldview, and build our own truth. Um, so, you know, you may have um, gone after one particular path, like Wicca or Golden Dawn, Chaos Magic, Traditional Witchcraft, as you said, you may have gone down one of those paths hoping to find that singular truth and you didn't find it, so you tried another path, you didn't find it there, etc., 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 and it carries on over and over again. 
and it's because there is no singular truth. Um, they are all true. And what we need to do is pick out, you know, not haphazardly, uh, as I said, spoken about in the past, not eclectically, um, but, you know, as you've been down each path, you've come to understand it, you've come to know it. And through that knowing, you can then syncretize uh, the various parts that make up your own worldview. Okay. Um, and even if you do end up going down one path, as I said, your perception and your understanding of it is not going to be exactly the same as somebody else's for who is walking exactly the same path. Um, it's just that your experience is different. You can sort of imagine it like two people on a nature walk and they are walking side by side on a path. Their experience is going to be completely different, but they're still walking on the same path in nature, experiencing the same birds, the same animals, the same insects, the same trees, the same same flowers, plants, rocks, earth, all of it. They're still experiencing, they're, they're walking in an environment which is exactly the same, but their experiences are going to be different. Okay, so um, I think that might be where the difficulty is coming in. Uh, I know, I only say that because that's basically what happened to me. Um, all right, I'm not sure I can add much to that. Uh, let me try and go back. There we go. Okay, so the next one, this is a bit of a long one. Um, it's from Boxer Training 1017. Um, starts off highly. Is all this always necessary every time you want to work with an entity? I am genu genuinely curious. Um, I have used Wiccan circles in the past, but honestly, not every time. Isn't just smudging your space with the intention of removing negative energy enough? Thank you for reading. Um, uh, you then went on to say, to be honest, I'm not really following any tradition. I like to pick and choose whatever resonates with me. I did some Wiccan spells in the past as well as some other stuff. That wasn't Wiccan. I definitely don't do ceremonial magic, and I am not quite familiar with the Golden Dawn, although I heard about it, uh, about casting Wiccan circles. I did sometimes and sometimes called quarters, which I found to be a very pleasant experience. I guess calling the quarters is kind of an equivalent of calling the demonic element elementals. Um, could you maybe do an Ask Lee video about this? Also, could you share with us your short banishing ritual in the morning. Um, okay. Uh, let's start with, um, is all this always necessary every time you want to work with an entity? No, not, not particularly, not really. Um, you know, you don't have to cast a circle every time you want to work with an entity. It can simply be sitting down at an altar, giving, you know, lighting some incense and a candle, offering something like water, maybe a cup of tea or something like that um, and just meditating that's all you need to do when you do that you don't need to cast a circle some people will and some people will do a, um, a very simple type of um, casting which is the creation of a circle around you and just visualization of it um, one I have used often in the past is just pushing your hands into your eighth chakra and then expanding it around you which creates like a bubble 
a sphere around you which um, acts as a, a protective space, a protective circle. So you can do that, but it's not absolutely necessary. Um, when we have a look at the demonic um, circle with using the five elemental kings, that is quite often to balance the space that you're in. Um, you know, there may be a particular energy that's been in that space, which has put things a bit off kilter. Um, it's kind of messed with the energies and whatnot. So you might want to bring balance back to that space. So we call in the elemental kings to therefore balance the space um, elementally. Um, you may do LBRP, banishing right, to um, uh, sort of, um, well, expel any negative energies but also raise your own vibration which again brings a balance to the space that you're working in but also a balance within yourself within uh, within your body within your being so you know there's various way reasons why we would cast a circle or do something similar to casting a circle but you don't have to do it every time you want to talk to an entity um, then going on to Oh, isn't just smudging your space with the intention of removing negative energy enough? It can be. Um, if you have to take some frankincense on a charcoal block um, and just waft the smoke around the space, it can definitely help to clear the space um, and to raise the vibration of the space. So there's, a, there's many, many ways you can do this. Um, you can use sound just from your own mouth. Um, to clear a space, if you are trained in Reiki, uh, if you're attuned to Reiki, you can use the um, Reiki symbols to, and you project them at the four, four walls of a room. Uh, so many, many, many ways to actually clear the space and to also balance the space um, in order to do your working. But it's not necessary. If you feel your space is balanced, it feels nice, it feels comfortable, then just go ahead and do, you know, just talk to the entity or do a meditation or whatever it may be. Now in regards to the rest of that, um, what's interesting is that Wicca is actually ceremonial magic. When you are calling the quarters, you're calling the watchtowers, which is very much based in, well, Freemasonry to begin with, but um, was adopted by the Golden Dawn um, and various other um, uh, magical orders after that. Um, but that's where it all comes from with the Wiccan rituals, with casting the circle in a Wiccan fashion. So you actually have done ceremonial magic, you just didn't know it. Um, the banishing ritual that I do in the morning, um, I might I might talk about that, do a demonstration. It's actually part of, I'm, I'm creating Temple of the Horned Serpent at the moment, so it's part of that material. Um, kind of private at the moment because it's, it's still being developed um, but it'll probably launched to the public at some stage so you'll probably see it at that point anyway okay so that answers that one I think all right so let's go on to the next one which is from key it's k-i-i-i-i three 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 Hi Lee, for the next episode of Ask Lee, do you happen to know anything about blood magic and is it true that if you offer blood to a demon, 
they have control over you. Okay, uh, there's a lot of ways you can practice blood magic. Um, I mean, blood is part of our body. Our, it, it contains our essence. It has our DNA, um, and it's considered to sustain life. So it's you know of all the the bodily um, can't really just say fluids. Um, because we can also include hair and nails and even clothes when we're doing, you know, we're getting tag locks. Um, but blood is one of the, considered one of the most potent um, uh, fluids of the body or parts, pieces. Can't think of the word. I think you know what I'm talking about, though. Um, so, you know, to use blood is, is quite... It's actually a good offering. Um, it's not just the blood itself, but it's also the pain you go through. I mean, even pricking your finger can be quite painful. So, you know, just that sacrifice becomes or, or creates a, a particular energy. Um, but if you are going to use blood in spell work, don't use it when it's when this when this working is connected to somebody else, um, unless of course you want to be tied to them. Um, and this obviously goes for spirits as well. If you did did ask, um, and is it true that if you offer blood to a demon, they have control over you? They don't have control over you, but it does strengthen the relationship. And this is why, if you're working with, it doesn't matter if it's a demon or god, goddess, angel, whatever spirit it is. Um, if you are going to offer blood, only do that when you're at a particular point where you have built a relationship where you have a strong connection with that spirit, then offer blood. There are situations where you are going to do particular workings and it may be a long-term working, um, which could go on for six months, a year, 18 months, whatever it is, um, where you are going, you could offer blood every day um, to spirits that you may not have worked with before, but that is part of a particular um, advanced working that you'll be doing. So, you know, you've got a bit more of a, um, a foothold on what, you, what you're actually offering. Um, but when it comes to the spirits, make sure you've got a good relationship with them, a strong relationship with them. It's somebody you want to be or you want to continue being connected to and therefore then an offering of blood. It, it kind of ties your energies together a lot stronger as it would if you were doing some, some kind of blood magic with a person, maybe a lover. Um, it will tie the energies of both of you together a lot stronger than what it was before because it's blood, because it's life-sustaining. Um, you know, it's, it brings you into a closer bond. Let's put it that way. Um, I'm not really sure there's, there's much more I can talk about in regards to your question, actually. Um, don't use, you know... If you think of something like uh, the witch bottle, which is a form of protection magic, um, there's you know there's, there's mention of taking the bottle, putting in pins and, and nails and, and all sharp things and, and whatnot. Um, this is to trap a spirit or the energy of another witch that is is attacking you, um, and basically cut them to pieces type of thing, you know. Um, 
so you would take all of those those sharp objects, you would put them into the bottle, and then you would put urine, your own urine in, but that's because it's a waste product. Um, when you when we're talking about blood, it's not a waste product, it is life. So you don't want to put something like blood into such a spell um, because you, you're putting life into the spell, um, whereas you want to take away from whatever's attacking you you want to remove that force and remove that energy so you know it's it would be counter um, i have seen mention of people talking about you know creation of witch bottles and putting your um, hair and your nails and, and blood and semen and, and what have you and um i would suggest only putting urine um in in such a spell working so you know, if you want to decrease an energy, blood definitely wouldn't be used. If you want to increase an energy, like creation of a servitor, for instance, you want to sustain its life, you want to build up its energy, blood would be a, a great um, uh, form of energy because it contains life force. Um, it contains chi. So, you know, offering blood to a servitor or a familiar, um, which is why a lot of the old stories of witches were, um, they were said to offer blood to their familiars. Um, so, you know, that type of thing. It's, it's the sustaining of life that you're trying to achieve or the increase of energy for something. Yeah, um, so that's really what blood, blood is used for in magic itself. Um, but no, a demon definitely wouldn't have control over you. Um, I don't think a demon would want to have control over you. Um, you know, can't think of any reason why they would want to. Uh, if you're being respectful to them, they're going to be respectful back. So, you know, control would be counter to that. Um, but you can create a much stronger bond with a spirit by offering your blood to them, because it's again, it's it's life force. Um, so you're offering your life force um, as energy for them. So, yeah. All right. So that's it for this week. Um, I'll see you next time. Have a good one for now. Cheers. Bye-bye. This podcast was brought to you by, well, myself, Lee W. Johnson. To find out more about me, please visit my website at leewjohnson.com or check out my link tree in the description of this podcast. If you like the video format, then subscribe to my YouTube channel. That's me for this week. Hope to hear from you soon. Thanks for listening.